Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for on patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. And so I don't get uh, punished by Officer Derby, reminding you also now available on all of your popular podcast platforms. It has been a while since we've done a new show. And uh, even today, I'm calling in remotely because we've got a lot of different things going on that Lieutenant Hill and I are going to chat about in a couple of minutes. But, Lieutenant, before we get to the show, why don't we get a check of the weather? Berkshire weather. Here is your WTBR forecast from BerkshireWeather.com for Friday, October 21st. Greetings. Today, sunny with a high of 57. Tonight, clear with a low of 35. Tomorrow, sunny with a high of 64. That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more weather forecasts and education, go to BrookshireWeather.com. I'm Jim Klein for WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing day. Cheers, everyone! Alright, before we catch up and get back to uh, our regular programming, just a couple things I wanted to mention that are newsworthy. Uh, the first item is breaking news. We haven't uh, prepared the media release on this yet and sent it out, but... Um, you'll hear it here first. Uh, after a lot of work and many months of working through vendors, or the department is getting ready to initiate our body-worn camera pilot. Um, we've got, gotten the first vendor's T&E equipment in. We've uh, implemented an interim model policy or draft policy to get us through the pilot. We've selected the initial pilot team and have started issuing the equipment. So body-worn cameras will start going out um, probably on shifts as early as today, if not tomorrow. Uh, so we'll, there will be a formal release on that coming out, but it we've been working through this diligently since May, and we've got actually since March, and uh, everything finally got into place, and so uh, the team is getting ready to start that pilot project. So more to come on that. Uh, other news, if you were listening to the downtown Pittsfield, cultural Pittsfield program that was on just before we started. Uh, big events going on downtown for uh, Halloween, for the uh, DPI and cultural Pittsfield uh, Halloween events at be beginning this evening. Uh, and then other noteworthy, uh, just a, a feel-good piece from the front page of the Berkshire Eagle. Um, the official portrait of Judge Daniel Ford was unveiled and installed in uh, the Pittsfield Court Complex yesterday. And I was happy to see that. Ironically, I was in a post-commission meeting last week, and the chair of the post-commission, retired uh, Justice um, Margaret Hinkle, was planning on attending, and she wanted to know if I was going to be there. And I had to tell her that I wasn't invited. Uh, so, um, But Judge Ford was a, a great, great uh, just a great judge. I mean, I, I, I had the opportunity to testify in his court many times and um, just a great, great judge, great guy. So congratulations on your portrait, your honor. Well deserved. All right. So, Lieutenant, you, you solo in the studio this morning? I am, Chief. <laughs> so let's um, let's recap because you and I were speaking remotely. Uh, well, let, let's just so. I'm working remotely today. I've been working remotely on and off for the better part of a couple weeks. Uh, I had to, I was going through city hall when I was downtown yesterday. And so people have been emailing me and they're seeing my out of office message. And the message is stating that beginning two Wednesdays ago, I'm starting a period of intermittent family leave. And some of the people who are getting that out of office bounce back know that I was in the hospital last month with some minor health issues. And so they made the connection and they're assuming that there's something wrong with me. And that is absolutely not the case. 
I, I am on intermittent family leave for the indefinite future, uh, but it doesn't have anything to do with my health. I actually was cleared and screened fine with that little health scare. Uh, I'm on family leave because my wife and I took custody of a pre-adoptive seven-month-old two weeks ago. And so we're, uh, we got a lot going on, a lot of appointments trying to get his care transferred and get him in to see the pediatrician. And yesterday we were checking out uh, possible downtown child care locations. So, yes, if you get that bounce back or that out-of-office message, I am on leave. But it's not because of anything going on with me. It's just because it changes in the situation at home. So with that out there, um, Lieutenant, it's been over a month since we did a new episode, right? <laughs> yes, it has. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about why it's it's been so long since we've done a new episode. And then we'll talk about some of the stuff that has been going on other than, you know, changes in my my personal situation that have caused us to to lose that time um but and actually before i do that so we had a meeting earlier this week about the program and the future of the program and like i i am mindful of the fact that we have an obligation and i don't want this program to fail uh i actually was in the community uh, two or three weeks ago and had a resident come up to me and tell me that they regularly listen to the program and, you know, they, they rely on it for information. So when we're not getting new content out, I understand that we're, we're disappointing some people and failing. And so we need to find a better way to do that. Uh, but the core team that has been doing the program since the beginning, that's me and officer Derby, captain Traversa, uh, Mr. Munn, um, limited enforcement agent Munn, and now Lieutenant Hill, we, we've got a lot of other projects that we're working on. This body-worn camera project, hold on Captain Traversa a lot. Uh, Mr. Munn has been assigned to and is assisting the Digital Forensic Evidence Unit. So they've got cases going on. Uh, when we stood up the DEU, we also brought on Sergeant Arena. But their caseload exploded after we formed that unit. So a lot of... A lot of people with very busy schedules and we're always moving in different directions. Plus, we had some people um, from that team that needed to take some time off. And so we just we couldn't get two people in the same place at the same time on many of these days. And then to add more to that, we started adding additional programming. So one of the things that came out of our meeting this week is that we're going to start working with PCTV and WTVR to see if we can pre-record some episodes so that if our schedules don't work for a live episode on Friday morning, we can still have new content available. And um, we've got some days that they've identified that we can get in there for studio time. So we may we may start pre-recording some of the future episodes. And the other thing we're gonna do is we're gonna recruit some different uh, new members from the department to uh, backstop us and add some bench strength. So we're not relying on the same five or six people to be able to get the program out there. So do you want to add anything to that, Lieutenant? Uh, I've been working on getting some guests lined up. Uh, we've got to see what days we can get in and record some shows. Um, we do have a live guest next week arranged. Nice. Uh, that uh, another jurisdictions chief? Are we starting that rotation? No, we have uh, the newer um, MSPCA officer, Bill Loisel, uh, coming in. All right. Awesome. All right. So we'll kind of work backwards through everything else that's been going on. Um, one of the things that happens in the fall is we come off of like our summer training hiatus and we ramp up our training commitments. And that means that our personnel are going to in-service, which is normally conducted on Wednesdays. But it also means that all of our personnel who conduct in-service, the instructors, they also have to start the cycle of getting their new certifications or their, their recertifications so they continue to instruct. And that stuff all happens in late August, September, October, too. So we've had a lot of people, uh, myself, you to some extent, Lieutenant Captain Traversa, uh, Sergeant Arena, traveling a lot to obtain advanced training or specialized training so we can continue to do what we do 
And of course, that stuff sometimes conflicts with uh, our availability to be in studio Friday. I know on at least two of the, the last several weeks, I've been out of town on the road uh, when we would have normally been in studio. So that contributes part of it. And we'll talk about some of the training that we've had going on and, and some of the places, at least that I've been, um, as, the, as we get on with the program. But the other thing that conspired to make this a little more difficult is that having come through our, it started as nine, but really we'll call it 10 months of the pilot project on the law enforcement jujitsu program, which is the joint program between the department and um, our host gym, ZenQuest Martial Arts Center, who we also hope to get on the show at some point. But having come through the 10-month pilot of that project and had great results for the 14 officers that participated in the initial pilot, uh, we decided to expand it. So uh, when we put together this year's budget, uh, actually dedicated some additional funds to make sure that we had capacity to put more people in that program. We recruited new members, so we expanded from 14 uh, Pittsfield police officers as participants, up to 20 Pittsfield police officers as participants. And then the other thing that we did, that the dojo did at our request, is they added a second law enforcement restricted class so that we could have flexibility in the schedule for our officers to attend class. So in addition to the Monday afternoon, early evening class, they agreed to add a second law enforcement jujitsu class. And they found an opening in the calendar and they added that class. And that class is Friday mornings at 9.15. <laughs> so since Lieutenant Hill and I are both participants in the Ledge program, and Lieutenant Hill and I are both also on the radio show, we can't be in both places at once. And so because the new classes were added, I think it was the last week of September or the first week of October, and I wanted to make sure that I spent some time on the mats with the new participants, Two of the last four weeks at the time that we normally would be in studio, I've been down in Lenox at the dojo working with the additional ledge class. So we've got to figure out how we're going to balance those two competing interests also. Um, I am hopeful, as the lieutenant and I spoke about the week before, uh, that we may actually do a remote from the dojo where one of us will be in studio and the other will be on the mats and uh, we'll be able to show you a little bit about what's going on because we have the video capability when we uh, present this on PCTV as well. So, Matt, have you made any Friday morning classes yet? No, my schedule has gotten all messed up with illness, family illness, vacation. Uh, so I'm trying to get back to it. Well, we can't, we can't just like gloss over the vacation, right? Because you, you took some time off. And you went to Florida. Yeah. And then you got marooned in Florida. Yes, I did. Because like tens of thousands of other people who were impacted by Hurricane Ian, you also were impacted by Hurricane Ian. Yes, I was. <laughs> and it wasn't just you, right? Captain Dolly was traveling around the same time. He didn't get impacted in Florida. He got impacted when he came back. Yep. So world events, they, you know, they also have impact on our staff and on our availability. So um, before we move on from Ledge, I just, I'm really excited about that. Uh, actually, I got an inquiry this week from the state police uh, trainer down at the State Police Academy in New Braintree. They've heard what we're doing. They wanted to look at our documents because they're trying to figure out a way to um, do something similar for the troopers. It's going to be complicated. You know, troopers are spread all over the Commonwealth. Uh, some of them don't report to standard locations for barracks. They mark in from their cruisers. So that that's a heavy, heavy lift with a lot of moving parts. But we wish them luck on implementing that. Um, it's, we didn't, I didn't mention this in the news cap. But speaking of newsworthy items, uh, MSP, Mass State Police, they graduated a recruit training troop yesterday. The newest class of troopers graduated and uh, starting field training today. So congratulations to all the new troopers from the RTT. All right. So, Matt, you I know that um, we started the the LEJJ, Law Enforcement Jiu-Jitsu Pilot Program, a year ago, uh, just over a year ago. And you had some 
ups and downs during the course of our 10 month pilot with both an injury and some, some other, uh, lack of availability. You were in there from the outset with us and you managed to you know, get back from your injury and continue to train. I'm just, what do you think about the program so far? What are you looking forward to? Well, I enjoy it. And there's a, a good group of people in there and some good camaraderie. And, uh, you know, I just, I enjoy the opportunity to train and, uh, it seems that everybody's really positive about it and interested in it. I know in the first go round, there were people that had to be told that, uh, they'd have to wait because there wasn't enough spots. And now those spots are open and it's great to see the people who were in the first round that have continued and, uh, see all the new faces that have uh, popped up the second go round. Yeah, so not only did we get to add some more people from Pittsfield, uh, which, as I said, we, we did. We invested a little more money and we opened up some more space. Um, we've also seen officers from other departments return. So there's at least two other uh, county departments that have members participating. And I'm waiting to hear on the details of a scheduled meeting with a representative from Great Barrington because one of the ledge participants who's been with us off and on since the beginning. He's looking to expand um, their involvement and get something similar to our uh, department support uh, compensation and, and coverage for the Great Barrington officers. So this thing's taken off. Um, it's it's showing its utility. And um, you know, I, I think it's incredibly valuable. Uh, before we talk about some of the cultural changes that have led to the success of the program. I just want to say, as the lieutenant said, we've got, um, I think, eight, it's either eight or nine of the original 14 participants. And that, that 14 doesn't include um, members like myself or Lieutenant Hill, who were already training before we started the pilot. Um, Officer Stockton, who was already training um, before he joined the expansion. Um, you know, those, the, the ledge participants are the ones who they came to jujitsu brand new and they only trained as a result of their involvement in this program. So we went from 14 to 20. And of the first 14, I think it's eight, either eight or nine, uh, who have been training so diligently and attending, you know, the maximum number of the classes that they could that. Eight of them, eight, and in this case, they're guys, um, they're getting pretty close to belt um, promoting up. They're getting ready for a belt promotion. So the way promotions work in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, at least in our lineage, is you start as a white belt, uh, a slick, no-stripe white belt. You earn four stripes on each belt, so four stripes on your white belt, and then you're eligible for promotion to blue belt, and then four stripes on your blue belt, purple belt, four stripes on your purple belt, brown belt and then four stripes on your brown belt, and you're eligible to become a black belt. Um, and so we've got a handful of officers who they're, you know, they, they just put on additional stripes. I think most of them put their third stripe on. But they're they're getting pretty close to earning their blue belts in jujitsu. So, um, and then on top of that, we have two officers. I know, I know one for certain is already registered. The other one I was told was going to register, but I didn't see him on there. We have a competition coming up in the second weekend of November down in Danvers, and these guys are going to travel out there and compete. So not only are we training them with practical skills that they can use on the job, but we're, we're breeding some competitive jujitsu players out of the program as well. All right. Um, so, Matt, you touched on something about the intangible benefits of the program, and you identified one that I hadn't even thought about when we put the program together, I was really looking at adding jujitsu to the skill set that we offer to our personnel uh, strictly from a, a subject control point of view. I thought it was a better, safer alternative than some of the stuff that was out there that we had been teaching uh, and that it was going to have positive outcomes in injury reduction for subjects and for officers. And so that's, you know, that was the basis of the program. And there was plenty of evidence from other pilot projects and other departments to support that. But we've seen so many intangibles, and you touched on one, which is just the, the, the camaraderie, the sense of team among this small group of officers that are spending, in some cases, a few hours a week outside of work hours together 
just working on their health, working on their fitness, working on their skills. And, um, you know, it's, it's palpable when you see the alleged participants together at work, they, they bond differently than we do with the rest of our, our counterparts. So I don't, I don't think that we could have planned for that. That's just, uh, you know, a, a nice, nice to have, but we've seen a couple other intangibles, um, that, uh, Professor Mark, so Mark and Connie Flynn, the, the owners and primary instructors at, at the dojo where this is hosted, he and I have had conversations both before we started the project and since beginning the project about what we thought we could we would see. And so just officer safety and subject management, as I said, we, we expected that. But some of the stuff we didn't expect, and we did a, a, a debrief and after action we sat down with a group at the end of the 10 months in the pilot and they we asked everybody you know what what surprised you what were you what did you not anticipate coming into this and so a couple of the things that we didn't think that we'd see um well I, we kind of did this one but i didn't to the extent just the degree of fitness among the program participants and the fitness uh, improved fitness outcomes is significant like we've got a bunch of the ledge participants who not only have lost some weight, but they've really like doubled down on their workout routines. So that's a positive that wasn't written into the pilot. The amount of confidence and just air of calmness that the ledge participants have in comparison with some of their counterparts, you can actually hear the increased confidence in their voice on the radio when they're in contact with somebody, they're just, you know, they're like, okay, you know, I'm here. I've rolled three times this week. I'm not really concerned that this is going to go sideways. So the, the increased confidence among the participants was obvious. And then one thing came up during the debrief that I hadn't considered and Professor Mark hadn't considered, and I'm still not sure how, how we capture this, but, um, you know, Matt, you know, you've been a cop for a long time. I've been a cop and a defensive tactics instructor for a long time. When we, in the police defensive tactics program, when we talk about going hands-on with a subject, we try to control the limb. So in our particular case, we try to control the arm. We control the elbow and control the wrist and try to control the arm. And while that technique is highly effective, we don't ever consider the variations in clothing styles that we may encounter. And in New England, you know, we can go from summer with, you know, shirtless or T-shirt to bare arm all the way to the height of winter with a puffy coat over a hoodie. And so the ability to actually control the joint and control the limb is significantly different in those two situations. And what one of our participants, Officer Carasoto, shared with us during the debrief is, his confidence and his ability to control people by manipulating clothing is entirely different as a jiu-jitsu practitioner than it was as an academy-trained police officer. Like an entire set of available control options that he wasn't aware existed became possible to him just by learning to manipulate the gi. And so apprehensions that he's been involved in that might have taken significantly longer if he was trying to control the limb have been over quickly because he switched up and controlled the clothes. I just, I'm not, I'm not sure how we capture that data point. <laughs> All right. So what are you looking forward to in the ledge program, Matt? Uh, I'm looking forward to getting back in the swing of things and, and getting back into shape. I've kind of slacked for quite some time now. Uh, and I'd like to get back consistently with karate again as well. I, uh, I enjoy both. They're both, you know, they both complement each other. And uh, Absolutely. I've been doing martial arts since I was a kid. And, um, you know, I, I, it's easy to get sidetracked by life and, and stay away from the dojo when uh, you need to be down there. So... I appreciate you saying that because this is one of the things when I, we were recruiting people to join the ledge pilot, I had several officers come to me. They were interested, but they were uncertain. 
and uh, they had questions and they really wanted to know, um, you know, what they could expect and, and what would be allowable, what wouldn't be allowable. And I can't remember exactly how the question was phrased, but it, it basically came down to if this is something that I, as the chief, believe our people should be doing, why weren't we just providing it to everybody? Why, why wasn't it just being done in the academy or why wasn't everybody, um, you know, being given the opportunity to train? And, you know, the short answer is capacity. The, the academy curriculum is being modified and changed kind of as we speak to incorporate more ground-based uh, grappling techniques. And, you know, we don't have enough qualified instructors to be able to just do a wholesale change and implement this across the board. So we had to figure out a way to roll it in. But one of the counterpoints or one of the arguments that was offered to me is, you know, you're asking me to do this on my own time. And if this is something the department values, you should you should make it available. You should just do it during our regular training time. And I don't disagree with that, but it was going to take us time to get there. And we didn't want to wait. So I started thinking about how training and commitment to training has changed just in the time you and I have been on the job, right, Matt? So we think back when we came on in the mid to late 90s, um, you know, we got out of the academy. We were pretty fit. But a lot of our counterparts, some of the, the officers who have been around a while, maybe not so much. And the attitude kind of was, if you want us to be fit, you'll let us work out on duty. And you know, we actually gone through a couple iterations of trying to figure out ways that we could make that that happen. But eventually it, it became part. You want to do this job. You want to do this job effectively. It's your responsibility to stay fit, to maintain some degree of fitness, to exercise on your own. And I think most officers over the course of the last 27 years, they accepted that. They bought into that and they subscribed to that. Something going on there? Uh, we had a little technical glitch. It's all set. Okay. Um, and then similarly, after I'd been on the job for a while, and, and oh, you know, this isn't really something that you and I, or I, I had the benefit of being on the team, so I didn't have to necessarily do it. But not all of our, our people went through this. But we saw something similar in maybe the last 10 or 15 years with firearms proficiency. And so when we came on the job, we would shoot once, sometimes twice a year, unless you were going out to do something really special or you were assigned to a unit like the special response team that, uh, you know, required you to spend more time on the range. If you were a firearms instructor, you would spend more time on the range. But most of our personnel, they shot once or twice a year. And then over the last decade, we've seen more and more of our officers, particularly our younger officers, realize that that's a perishable skill. And that if they want to maintain proficiency with that, they had to invest their own time. And so we've got a bunch of officers who shoot competitively. They, they do three gun matches and they're involved in IPSC and they're involved in local leagues. And so they take the time and they make the investment in themselves to maintain that skill. And I think that subject management control, uh, empty, hands, empty hands is the next big thing in how law enforcement officers commit to their own training and you know, what officers say about, yes, this is valuable. And yes, I think the department wants me to have it, but I have to meet the department somewhere. And this is something I have to invest my own time and energy in. So I, I, I'm hopeful that we're going to see an expansion of this beyond even the ledge program. So um, I think that's all we have to talk about on the jujitsu side, and then we can get to some of the training commitments that have been going on. But it looks like it's about time for a station break. So why don't we do that? I'm going to pull up my calendar and talk about some of the stuff that's been going on for the last month in training, and we'll go from there. Okay. Here is your WTBR forecast from BerkshireWeather.com for Friday, October 21st. Greetings. Today, sunny, with a high of 57. Tonight, clear, with a low of 35. Tomorrow, sunny, with a high of 64. 
That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more weather forecasts and education, go to BerkshireWeather.com. I'm Jim Klein for WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing day. Cheers, everyone! Support for WTBR comes from Berkshire Mantiques, a 7,000-square-foot shop featuring collectibles, antique signs, and much more for your garage, bar, man cave, or she shed. Open Thursday through Monday from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. and located on Route 7 in Lanesboro. And from Greylock Grounds drive through and Cafe, featuring different varieties of local coffee and tea from Six Depot Roastery Cafe. Greylock Grounds K-Cups are locally brewed and the only biodegradable compostable K-Cups using a local roaster. Visit their drive through location on Route 7 in Lanesboro, serving coffee, paninis, ice cream, and more. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union, proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And by Purgatory Road. Descend into the Valley of Darkness at 400 Main Street in Dalton, October 14th, 15th, and 21st. All proceeds raised will benefit the Berkshire Coalition for Suicide Prevention. That's Purgatory Road, 400 Main Street in Dalton, October 14th, 15th, and 21st. Hi, this is Sergeant Mark Madalena with the Pittsfield Police Department. We all have busy lives, and we're in a hurry to get to where we need to be. While driving, people are eating, drinking, talking, putting on makeup, doing their hair, checking social media, texting each other, all while the dog sits on their lap. The result is running red lights, stop signs, speeding, and finally crashing. Distracted driving is illegal. You can be ticketed or criminally charged. Please share the road and pay attention. Let's make sure everyone gets where they want to go safely. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Better weather is around the corner. Expect an increase in the number of pedestrians on walkways, cyclists sharing our roads, and kids playing outside. It is imperative we all pay better attention while driving, walking, running, and cycling. So we need to do our part in keeping everyone safe by adhering to the rules of the road. Wear bright clothing if you are walking or running. If you are driving, please slow down and don't drive while distracted. Pay attention. Let's keep each other safe. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. We're back. That was interesting. I, I don't know how many times I've remoted this show since we started it. It's at least a half dozen. That's never been something that I've had to worry about before. So we have a time limit on our meet. We have a time limit on our meeting space when we're on on the air. I guess so. I'm still an amateur when it comes to Zoom. Okay. All right. So, hey, we're learning. We get better for our viewers and listeners. Just so you understand what just happened. Uh, the meeting we were the meeting we were in for the show before the station break was running out of time and went to open a new meeting and log back in while you were on the station break. So, um, but we're back. Technical difficulty overcome. Uh, all right, yeah. So, sorry, got distracted. So you're listening to Out Patrol with the PPD here on WTVR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. And once again, to make sure that Officer Derby doesn't get angry with me, uh, also available on your popular podcast platforms. Speaking of Officer Derby, Officer Derby and his fellow members of the motor unit, they're en route to Bristol, Connecticut uh, on the bikes in the 30 degree weather this morning. Uh, unfortunately, the reason that they're going down there is tragic. They're going down, <clears throat> excuse me, to attend the uh, funeral services for the two Bristol, Connecticut officers who were tragically killed in an ambush attack. Um, now I'm not going to get into a lot of details. Let's just say the number of police officers feloniously assaulted and killed in the last month is egregiously high. And the amount of commentary on these officers' deaths coming from our elected officials is abysmally low. Um, you know, these these attacks on our officers, um, these are not people who are attempting to avoid capture. This is not a, you know, we're in pursuit and they're defending themselves. These are deliberate, cold-blooded murders. Uh, the, the Bristol one, from all intents and purposes, was, was literally... Uh, set up as a fake call to draw them into a kill zone. Uh, and so it's got to stop. Enough is enough. Um, but yeah, the motor unit is on the way down there. 
uh, to represent the department and show our respects to our fallen brethren and their um, their surviving colleagues who are going to have to carry on without them and their families. All right, enough said on that. So we spent the beginning portion of the program talking about the jujitsu program and some of the, the stuff going on with that that's kept us out of the studio. But the other thing that's kind of kept us out of the studio, as I said, was some of this, this training commitment stuff. So I've talked about on the program in the past, a change that occurred uh, several years ago now. Um, I, can't, I, I can't put my finger on it. It may be close to seven or eight years ago now. And so the change occurred in how the Massachusetts Police Training Committee of MPTC, supported by the Massachusetts Chiefs of Police Association, MACOPA, um, and the Municipal Police Institute, the MPI, which is the training and legislative branch of uh, Mass Chiefs, how they formulated and agreed upon what in-service training topics would be delivered to law enforcement personnel in the Commonwealth. And so prior to the change, basically what would happen is, you know, small groups, committees from the MPTC or Mass Chiefs, they would sit together and they would come up with a list of training topics, basically uh, drawn from recent, you know, for the previous couple of years, events, things that we were training to, trends that they were seeing, and they would add the training topics. And then the training would get written by the curriculum and standards teams within the MPTC. And then the instructors would go to the train the trainers and get trained up. And then the training would be rolled out, usually uh, near the beginning of the school year, uh, to, to correspond with the training year. And everybody would see the training at the same time. And what that meant was that chiefs, agency heads, who were going to be responsible for saying, yep, you know, this is the training that we were provided. In most cases, unless they were an instructor trainer or uh, they had gone to the train the trainer, they were seeing the curriculum and the material at the same time their officers were, their personnel were. And if they had questions or they had concerns or they saw something that was inconsistent with another way they had been trained, there wasn't really an opportunity to course correct or fix it because the curriculum was written and it was out. And so when this change came about, what they decided is that they would put together the training list, they would put together the topics, they would develop the curriculum, they would train up most of the trainers, and then they would select some of those early instructors and they would deliver the training to the chiefs. And so we started scheduling what we call the Mass Chiefs Fall Trainer. And MPTC and MPI would come in and they would deliver the training to the chiefs. The chiefs would get a chance to look at it, review it, speak to the curriculum developers. And if there was anything that needed to be addressed, tweaked, questioned, refined, there was an opportunity to do that before it got pushed out to everybody else. And so that's been the model for the last several years. I go to the chief's trainer, uh, religiously. Uh, I've instructed at the chief's trainer for several years. And uh, for the last couple of years, I've also participated on panel discussions during the training conference uh, as a representative of post. We have a session that chiefs can just ask questions of the executive director and post commissioners and our general counsel. But the interesting thing about the chief's trainer is as we're responding to police reform and we're trying to get ahead of many of the legislative requirements, it's it's gotten longer. You know, I think the first time I went, it was like a day and a half of training and a, a half day of like social time. And now it's almost four days of training. Uh, it, it would be four full days if, if people were sticking around for every session. And so um, it's complicated. There's a lot going on. I actually had a conflict this year, so I had to leave. <clears throat> at the end of the third day, because I had another training commitment the following morning. But it's uh, not only is it a great opportunity to network with chiefs from across the Commonwealth, you get 300 plus chiefs from almost all of the agencies in the same ballroom at the same time. And there's a chance to, you know, have lunch and dinner together. But it gives us a chance to see the curriculum that's coming down the pipe and some of the things that um, our officers are going to be expected to um, 
pick up in the coming year or be exposed to in the coming year. And it also gives us a chance to bring in some really high-end um, external trainers. And so I'm not going to talk about the in-service topics a lot because as we get into the in-service rotation, I think we'll spend more time in individual episodes as we're in each training rotation talking about that. But I did want to talk about two of the external trainers that uh, that they brought in. And the first one I want to talk about, because I'm pretty sure I have to give credit to this to um, legal counsel for the Mass Chiefs, my friend and colleague, Eric Astapenis. So Eric is just a valuable resource. I rely on him. I'm sending him requests for legal opinions last week. You know, I'm in contact with him, email, text message, cell phone all the time. Um, he was out at IACP this week uh, in Dallas, which I, I was not at because, as I explained, things things changed at home. Um, but Eric is just an amazing guy. And one of the things that Eric and I have in common, we talk about when we're not trying to sort out some complicated legal issue, is he, like I, is a big fan of uh, Commander Jocko Willink, the Jocko podcast, and also of the work that Commander Willink and his partner, Commander Leif, uh, Leif Babin, do with their training company, their leadership development company, Echelon Front. And so I use uh, Commander Babin and uh, Commander Willink's books in our Leadership Academy. I reference them when I'm teaching down at the Institute. I listen to the podcast. I've done some online training with them, uh, cite them in a lot of my academic work. But they, I think that they're just out in front do, offering a lot of training that is going to change the way public safety functions uh, in this country to the point where I've been advocating for over a year that the frontline leadership training that they offer, the not not high-level executive leadership training, but the leadership training for frontline officers that they provide virtually, I've been advocating that we add that to our academy curriculum, that brand new police officers be trained in this leadership concept of taking ownership and accountability. Uh, and I've spoken in the past about why I think that's important, and particularly in light of police reform. So I know that Eric helps set the training curriculum for the fall trainer. And I had been lobbying and advocating that we bring some of their trainers and some of their curriculum in. And so our keynote speaker to address the chief's trainer this year in our first session was one of the contract instructors for Echelon Front, uh, Carlos. He's a, he's a um, former Marine Raider. And he came in and he did essentially the curriculum that they offer in the training. That's, they, they, they title it Roll Call. So roll call is Echelon Front's one-day training on um, that's directed specifically towards first responders, police, fire, EMS, some uh, corrections, uh, and it takes their lessons from their their full you know three-day seminars and it brings them down into eight hours. And so Carlos took the roll call curriculum and he kind of just hit the, <clears throat> excuse me hit the highlights. Did like the Cliff's Notes version, the 90-minute version of that training for us, and it was just a blast. It, and I had attended roll call. As I said, I've done some of the stuff uh, with them online, but to have this speaker come in and talk about their leadership concepts with 300 of my colleagues was just amazing. And I am hopeful that we are going to see more of this training uh, more frequently and offered uh, more regularly both through the Municipal Police Training Committee and through MPI, um, both for supervisors and for our frontline personnel. So that was pretty exciting. So pretty happy about that one and uh, more to come on that. Then the other vendor that they brought in that was a contract trainer, that was not as fun. Um, but I've been talking about it a lot for the, the past month because in hindsight, I think it's probably one of the things that led to my uh, my trip down to the emergency department last month. And so they they brought a gentleman in, a physician. He's with a um, organization out of Texas called Sigma Tactical Wellness. And why they had to put tactical in there, I'm not sure. I think it's just because they know if you put the word tactical in it or you cover something with like black Velcro and try to sell it to cops, then you'll sell a lot more of it. So 
there's nothing really tactical about the programming that they do, but they do aim their their work or their products towards first responders. But the I'm and I'm not a physician, so I'm not even going to try to do justice to the details of what they shared. But I, I want to hit the high points. So one of the things that came out of this is that first responders across the board, but in particular corrections officers and police officers who have been on the job for any length of time. And so any length of time is, you know, you got through you got through field training and probation and you actually went to work. If you're on the job and at any point in your career, you worked shift work, like you worked overnight or you worked a rotation. Just the fact that you have this job, which is highly stressful and exposes you to repeated traumas, and you have to deal with these inconsistent schedules, those two factors combined result in physiological changes that put you at heightened risk of cardiac illness. And so we've spent a lot of time on the show in the last several years talking about the changes that occur to our personnel emotionally, cognitively, and mentally but this doc's message was that it goes beyond that and there are actual physiological changes. And in particular, the physiological changes that his team has identified have to do with cholesterol, the buildup of plaque in your, in your vascular system, hardening of the arteries or atherosclerosis, and some of the um, biological markers that serving in as a first responder have that put you at heightened risk of cardiac disease or cardiac illness. And so the reason that they, they brought this company in to speak to us is the doctor's point was if you, if you went to a physical and you had had certain previous indicators or previous markers, let's say a history of heart disease, or you hit a certain age or um, family history of, of certain illnesses, and you answered these questions for your doctor, and done, you checked enough of those boxes, then you would be put in a special at-risk group for cardiac health. And if you were put in that special at-risk group, you would be scheduled for additional screenings, um, screenings that aren't normally covered as part of your general annual physical or your general cardiac workup. And I don't know the details of any of these screenings. Again, I'm not a doctor. You can go look at Sigma Tactical Wellness, go to their website. But there are things like particular types of ultrasounds or calcium tests of the, the heart tissue that people, Matt, you're, you're my age. We wouldn't normally be eligible for these things because unless we had those check boxes in our history. And the doctor's point was, if you're a cop, firefighter, EMT, corrections officer, you should already have that box check. Like if you hit your mid forties, early fifties, and you've been working this job, your doctor should just assume you're at heightened risk and order those new tests. And so one of the things that Sigma does is they, um, they lobby, they advocate for first responders to be considered a highly at risk population for cardiac health and eligible for additional screenings as part of their routine annual workups. And obviously, there's a cost associated with that. So insurance companies don't want to do it. But, um, you know, as I said in the introduction, and I said again, uh, as we started the segment, I came back from the trainer at the end of September, sharing some of this information with some of the commanders. And then I had a little episode in the office, and I ended up spending the full day on September 26th in the emergency department getting screened. And I'm fine. Everything came back clear. Everything came back fine. But I think the combination of that increased knowledge and just paying more attention to what was going on with me physically, you know, it, I, I'm not going to say that I didn't overreact or I didn't panic, but I was concerned. Um, and so I've had some conversations since then with my primary care physician and actually had a couple uh, additional follow-ups, including a, a cardiac treadmill stress test uh, the week before last. Um, we have to we have to acknowledge this and take better care of ourselves. If you're going in for your routine physical or your annual physical, um, have the conversation with your doc. Ask to be screened. Um, you know some of the stories that the that the doctor was sharing with us 
were chilling. Um, you know, Matt, you know, I hear stories about like Olympic level athletes, triathletes that they're, they're in peak condition. They're really, really fit and they go out for a training run or they go out for a ride and they have a massive heart attack while they're in the middle of the ride. Right? You hear these stories every once in a while. Well, the, the reason those happen, according to this doctor, is that these physiological changes in your blood vessels occur. And essentially, there's undetected obstructions that are that are being created in there as a result of these additional factors. And they're, they're essentially clots waiting to happen. And so you're going about your day doing your workout. And sometimes these things break loose. And you, you have the Widowmaker heart attack, but while you're out there getting after it. And there's no way without these additional screenings to know if you're at risk for that. And uh, according to the, the body of research that uh, Sigma has done, a lot of law enforcement officers are at risk of this. We're carrying around these factors and nobody knows. So um, something to be aware of, something to be cautious of, something to incorporate in your conversations with your healthcare providers and something just to keep an eye on. So that was a depressing block of instruction from the chief's trainer. I'm losing you, Matt. No, I'm here. I didn't know if you wanted me to respond. <laughs> yes, of course I want you to respond. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's making me sit here and think and stress. <laughs> yeah, well, if you haven't had a physical schedule one now, um, it's just it's something to be aware of. Like We talk about officer health and officer wellness. <laughs> we talk about officer safety, but more recently we talk about officer safety, officer wellness, and we add the health component to that. And I just I don't think that it can be overstated. Um, you know, I'm doing I think I've mentioned it on the show. I'm, I'm in an academic program right now. I'm taking doing coursework towards a, a, another advanced degree. And the coursework that I'm engaged in is uh, psychiatry. But as a res or psychology, sorry, psychology, uh, as a result of some of the academic reading I have to do on psychology, a lot of the research is looking at cognitive changes, um, mental health changes, but the companion research also has medical information in it as well. And so you look at some of the stress-related or trauma-related maladies that are more prevalent in first responders than in the general population, and you look at things like increased rates of anxiety, increased rates of depression, um, increased rates of post-traumatic stress disorder. But when they do these exams to look at these people, they also find, you know, poor nutrition, poor sleep hygiene, uh, increased cardiovascular disease, increased rates of obesity and diabetes. And these things are often related. Right. So you're depressed. So you stop taking care of yourself, but you're not taking care of yourself. So you get ill. So now you get more depressed. Um, it's it's all integrated. It's all related. And we spent a lot of time over the last seven or eight years talking about first responders' mental health, but we need to kind of loop back and, and tie it back into first responders' overall health and well-being. I mean, Matt, you know, when we were in the academy, they were so serious about that stuff, they'd inspect our lunches. That's true. Right? Yeah. They would go through our lunches, and if we had unhealthy food, they would just take it. And call you out in front of everybody. Yeah. So I think when we focused our, or refocused our attention on mental health, we kind of stepped back from the overall body of health and fitness. And we need to we need to refocus our attention on that. I was listening to a podcast this week with a guy that I found during the pandemic. His name is Dr. Mike Simpson. Uh, his podcast is the Mind of the Warrior podcast. He's a retired special forces officer. He was a SF medic and then became a physician and he was also a trauma physician uh, to the Ranger Battalion and uh, Doc Simpson does this this program uh, on a fairly regular basis where he talks about um, more mature you know men after 40 who are still trying to you know train and, and maintain some degree of fitness and this week's podcast was all about the difference between being fit and being healthy and it was timely because it tied back to this conversation from the fall trainer, because you can be fit, right? You can 
get your workouts in and go out and get after it. And your fitness can mask uh, overall lack of health. Right. And so it's not you can't you can't assume that somebody is healthy just because they're fit or vice versa. And so we have to look at both. All right. We're coming up on the end of the show. We talked about the fall trainer. I left the fall trainer, as I said, on Wednesday night. Then I went down to the Institute to spend some time uh, with some new supervisors. I was down there for a couple of days. Then we came back and I can't even account for what happened when we came back. Oh, then we rolled into fall in service, right? We had to, we had to wrap up the fall in service block to get out there with, uh, Nikki and, and the instructors for your rotation this year, Matt? Um, out on the range, yes. Yeah. And the classroom, that's coming up. Yeah. So in the week that we came back from that, I had the good fortune. I spent a, not a huge chunk of the day, but a, a good chunk of the day uh, up at a training location with the special response team. So that first week in October, they were running um, their annual new new team member, new operators course. Uh, so they had a handful of new candidates who were being uh, run through selection to see if they were going to eventually be placed on probationary status with the team. So I got to spend a couple hours with them talking about the evolution of uh, police special operations and the history of uh, SWAT in the country and in our local team in particular. And then uh, later that week, I had to go to the range for my annual uh, fall research. Um, I had a blast on the range this year. I think they did a really nice job putting that program together. I agree. It's just it's tough on my uh, body out there all day. Tough on the knees. Uh, back. Yeah, just yeah. This one was a hard day on the back. I think it's because we were on our feet so much with the rifles and the shotguns. It's just heavy. It's heavy equipment to be on your feet all day. I brought a beach chair this time. Did you really? Yes. I brought um. I brought like my camp stool from when I was in officer officer candidate school, but I never took it out of the car. That probably wasn't the smartest thing for me to do. Yeah, I have to. I have to have a break when I'm not shooting, or I'm uh, I'm going to be worthless. <laughs> All right. So the other thing that happened um, since we were last together for a new show, and uh, Matt, full credit to you because you carried the water on this one, is we participated in the third annual national faith in blue weekend. Um, it, there was a, that was, you know, you were out of town and then you came back to jump into that. Captain Traversal went out of town. I had just picked up, um, picked up the baby. So a lot of, a lot of hands in a lot of different directions. It wasn't, um, it wasn't massive by any means. You know, we, we only had one parish, uh, agree to participate with us, but it was bigger than it had been in the past. And so on the Saturday of, um, Indigenous Peoples Day weekend, I um, I re-presented uh, my PowerPoint, my slideshow on my trip to Israel uh, at St. Stephen's Parish. I had never done it in in the city of Pittsfield um, within a, a Christian church. I had only done it in the temples. I had done it years ago in Lenox. Um, so we had a discussion on that uh, on Saturday. And then on Sunday, um, we had a reception hosted by St. Stephen's Parish. Uh, they brought refreshments out to the Dunham Mall for our on-duty personnel and uh, got to meet Officer Winston and check out some of our equipment. And so we had a nice time. Uh, the weather cooperated. And so we had a handful of department personnel and a couple dozen members of the St. Stephen's Parish family come. And we had a little uh, fellowship together. And it was nice. So there's been a ton of stuff going on. And now uh, we're going into the end of the month. So now it's time to gear up for Halloween and uh, we'll get into all the Halloween safety stuff. And then we have an election coming up. So it's it's not going to get any less busy. All right, Matt, we got a minute left. Plans for the weekend. Uh, just kind of hanging around town. Maybe decorate the house for Halloween. Haven't gotten to that yet. My in-laws are coming to visit. Um, they've been cleared to babysit alone uh so the 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 new addition is a dcf child and so we had to make sure that they were vetted they've been cleared to babysit alone so marge is going to babysit tonight and christina and i are going out for our first date uh in three weeks with without the new addition so we'll see how that goes i'll keep you posted and then uh got to get on the mats got to train 
Yep. All right. So you've been listening to another new episode of Out the Flow with the PPD. Thanks for tuning in. Can't guarantee you when we'll be back with a new live episode, but stand by for some new pre-recorded episodes. Thanks for joining us. Um, We'll see you soon. Be safe. Keep the faith. Most importantly, be kind. We're 10-8.